I'll add to uh, what Josh said, just a reminder, too. Later today, uh, this afternoon, sometime, take a look uh, through your Sunday program thoroughly. There's lots of things going on you want to check in on. And I'd call your attention especially to uh, reminders, uh, high school, college students preparing for spring break missions. We need to be praying for them. We need to be supporting them financially and in any other way that we can. We'll be headed out in just a few weeks. Also, some uh, new opportunities coming up this summer for uh, anyone in the church. It doesn't have to be high school, college to do short-term missions. About four opportunities perhaps coming this summer. You want to make sure uh, that you check those out. Find out what's going on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, are thankful for your presence, your presence in our lives so constantly, and uh, for the opportunity, Lord, to once again be together here as a church family. Lord, we're, we're thankful to know you're in this place because this is where your family is. We know this is not all your family, Lord. There are many congregations that are your family too. Father, you are just as much here as, as anywhere today. You're fully present, and we thank you for that. Thank you for the knowledge that you'll be teaching us, Lord, that uh, though we are learning together, you're the one that's really speaking to our hearts and minds. We recognize again, Father, we have to open up that heart and mind to you. We choose to do that now, to focus, to put our trust in you with things we're worried about, that we're distracted by right now, to leave those in your hands, and instead, Lord, to listen right now to you and ask you to, to uh, apply this word to us, Lord, in a way that, that we would know exactly what you want us to do. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, think about this with me. Think about this. You've got to follow along here. Now, ready? Between now and the time that you meet God at the entrance to his eternal kingdom. Between now and the time that you meet God at the entrance to his eternal kingdom. And that's assuming we're all going to be there, which I am. We'll all be there at the entrance. Between now and that time, what does it mean to live a well-lived life? A well-lived life, a meaningful, satisfying, joyful life in which you leave a legacy and point ahead into the future. And you know, when we ask that question, here's our problem often, is that the first thing we start thinking of is material things, right? So how do you live a well-lived life? And, and I, I admit, I'm with this too. You know, the, sometimes the first thing that comes to my mind is big house on a lake with my own dock, you know, a, a boat, a boat, and the lake is always full of fish that are biting. And, and I got a view of the Cascades, you know, and, and when, I, when I get tired of that or it gets too rainy or too cold, I've got another home I go to that's sunny and warm where there's surfboards and, you know, all kinds of things and, and coconuts. You know, we just got all these things in mind that, that like that's the well-lived life. And, and when I'm there, I have friends everywhere I go. And we always have fun. And, uh, and you know what? We... Uh, People admire us, you know, they admire me. And, and we kind of have these thoughts about that's a well-lived life. And, you know, there are aspects of that which are certainly great. And there's nothing wrong with, with having those things uh, in and of themselves. So we're not putting those down. But when we stop and think about it, it doesn't really match where I started. I said a well-lived life that's meaningful, that's satisfying, that's joyful, that leaves a legacy and points, points us into the future in a great way. Well, you know, those things don't come from material things. You don't get that from, from just having things and activities. You'll, you'll have some fun and you'll have some comfort, some exhilaration with those things. But, uh, but, but it takes more than that to, uh, to, uh, to have that really meaningful life, that well-lived life. I'm going to submit to you a, a well-lived life from a biblical perspective. I believe firmly we find this in Scripture. I could show it to you if we had the time. We won't take the time to break it all down. But from a biblical perspective, here's the well-lived life. 
Here's the well-lived life. You are serving God faithfully and glorifying him in your life daily. Because that's what we were created to do. The well-lived life is when you're serving God faithfully and glorifying him daily, because that's your purpose. That's your purpose. The well-lived life means becoming more Christ-like in character every day, day by day, becoming more Christ-like so that you're continually maturing into the person God created you to be, which will naturally result in in you handling the everyday life situations that you encounter. You'll handle them in the best and right way, just like Jesus did. And that well-lived life will mean this then, that you're becoming less and less susceptible to stumbling spiritually and morally. And instead, you're becoming more and more solidly firm and strong to resist temptation and to reject sin and to recognize and ignore false teaching. Discard that. And you'll remain unbending, unbending in the face of trials and opposition. That's to live a well-lived life. And to daily experience then also the assurance from God that your salvation is secure and your relationship with God is on the right track. That as you're living day by day, that assurance is coming to you from God as he makes it clear to you. And you're continually then, uh, and continuing then to enjoy a fruitfulness in life and effectiveness in ministry to others. Your life is spilling over positively into others' lives so that you're making a positive difference in others as the Holy Spirit is working in and through you. And as a result of that, then you're receiving blessings from God that he gives to those he knows he can trust with some of his greatest blessings. You ever thought about that and understood that from Scripture? That God entrusts his greatest blessings to those he knows he can trust. And so because you'll be rising up to that level... You're going to receive those blessings. And then on the day of entrance into God's eternal kingdom, you're going to be specially welcomed by God. He's going to welcome you there. He's going to applaud you for your, uh, for your life that you lived well. And he's going to give you eternal rewards that God gives to those who are faithful and fruitful servants. Now, that's a well-lived life. You've got that picture. Here's now and here's out there. That's what that well-lived life uh, would would look like. We get that, that perspective from Scripture. We need that, right? Because we don't naturally think of that. But Scripture will give us the, that perspective of the well-lived life. Very satisfying, meaningful, joyful, rewarding, incredible. And, you know what? We can all have it. We can all have it. Let's turn in the Bible right now to the book of Second Peter, where we're going to see this today. We can all have this. Second Peter chapter 1 is where we are. We continue in our Don't Back Down series, moving uh, from where we began in the book of 1 Peter. Now we're we're just getting into the start of the book of 2 Peter in the New Testament. 1 Peter, or 2 Peter rather, chapter 1 is where we are today. If you remember in the book of 1 Peter, one of the things that the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians there especially was about grace, God's grace toward us. And then with that, he emphasized steadfastness steadfastness in the face of opposition and persecution toward Christians that might draw you away from God. Grace and steadfastness in the face of opposition and trials. That was Peter's message uh, in, the, in the book of 1 Peter. In the book of 2 Peter, what we find is that he still talks about grace, but he emphasizes knowledge more in this book. Knowledge of God, by which he doesn't just mean intellectual knowledge, but actual, the, actually the knowledge of being in a personal relationship, of knowing God personally, knowing him well. And then he also emphasizes, guess what? Steadfastness. 
steadfastness, just like he did in 1 Peter, except in 2 Peter, he emphasizes steadfastness, not so much in the face of trials and opposition, but in the face of false teaching. False teaching, people who teach you the wrong thing. There were, at that time, as there, are, uh, as there is still today, um, uh, people who teach wrong things, both outside the church, and they rise up inside the church to teach things that are incorrect about God and about living a life for God and, uh, and with God. And so Peter was, a, was, and he is, we'll see, addressing that in this book. He'll write very directly about it. But he begins this letter, before he gets deep into that, by reminding Christians that, the, that having taken up faith in Christ and having uh, received forgiveness of sins and having entered into this personal relationship with God, well, Christians get something special with that too. You put your faith in Jesus. You, you do receive forgiveness of sins. You do receive adoption into the family of God. You, you do receive uh, eternal life. You, you get these great blessings. But there's something special that is, is often overlooked. And Peter mentions it, actually, in the, in the first few verses. Uh, Josh taught on some of this last week. And, uh, and it's in verses 3 and 4. And he says, here's what happens when you, when you come, come to God. He gives you this something special. Here's what has happened. His divine power, verse 3, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge, there's that word knowledge, of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Peter here makes two critical points that every Christian should understand. I'll take them in reverse order. I'll start with what he says in verse 4. He says, As a result of faith in Christ, your new relationship with God, you've become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Now, what that does not mean, what it does not mean is that you have been absorbed into deity, as some pantheists would would say. That you've been absorbed into deity and just kind of become one with God in that way. Not what the Bible teaches. Neither does it mean that uh, in any other way that now that you have faith in Christ, you yourself have become a little God. A little God that may grow into a big God later doesn't mean that at all. Scripture is very clear that that none of that uh, is true. What this means to partake of the divine nature, this is spelled out so clearly in Scripture, that you've been brought into actual union with God through the person of Jesus Christ. A spiritual union, a fellowship with God. A fellowship with God. He has made you, the Scripture says, born again. That is, He has given you His life, new spiritual life. In your sins, you were spiritually dead. He's given you back spiritual life through this connection with him. He's given you a new nature. Josh talked about this last week. You have a new nature, a nature no longer dominated by sin, but now dominated by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, in fact, partaking of the divine nature means the Holy Spirit now actually dwells in you. You're not God. You haven't morphed into God. You're not, you're not uh, absorbed into God, but the Spirit of God nevertheless is dwelling in you now. That's his critical point, number one. You've become partakers of the divine nature. But in, then in that real connection to God, that real indwelling, Peter emphasizes this, and this is what he says in verse 3. God is providing you now with power to live a godly life. He's providing you power to live a victorious Christian life because as Peter says here, 
Everything that is needed is being supplied. Everything that is needed for life and godliness has been given to you, Peter says in verse 3. Everything pertaining to life and godliness, he's supplying that to you. Now, think about how awesome that is. Not only are you forgiven, reconciled to God, adopted into the family, eternal life, all the other benefits, but right now, God has connected you to himself in in such a way that you have a permanent stream of transforming and enabling power that he's providing you with, uh, uh, that he's providing you, and that he's giving you assistance with along the way so that you can live a victorious Christian life. And this stream of transforming power is there 24 hours a day. I mentioned last week I had to go up to OHSU, get a little surgery done under my eye, uh, in my eye, under my eyelid. They're taking out some stuff that really didn't uh, belong there. And uh, when I went in, you know, I said, well, what's it going to be like? Is this like a local anesthetic, general anesthetic? He said, it's going to be a combination of both. He said, you'll be like in twilight sleep. I'm thinking like vampires, right? Twilight. Vampires. No, it wasn't like that, but it's like I really did go to sleep and, and I really wasn't, you know, feeling anything, but, but they could talk to me while I was asleep and I, they could, could wake me enough that even without opening my eyes, without seeing anything, I could talk back to them. We could have a conversation. And so they would, you know, they would, they would tell me to do certain things or tell me they were going to do something and I could respond shortly before I dozed right back off uh, to sleep. But how did that happen? Well, they had this IV going that they, they stuck in my arm over here. Actually, it was on the backside. And they stuck that in there, and they were controlling how much twilight sleep you know, I was having there at the time. But that's how all that was happening, that, that, that IV with that tube was in my arm the whole time. Well, what we're talking about here is, is this transforming stream of power. That's essentially what God has done. He's, a, he's, he's attached you to himself in such a way. He's, he's giving you this stream of life-changing power, of ability... Uh, to, to be transformed, to live this Christian life, and it's 24-7. Unlike my IV, which, is out, which was outside my body, it's almost like his IV comes from the inside and pumps out. It's already inside, but it's pumping that, that power, that transforming power and ability in, in me. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, including this year, the extra day, leap year, one day at the end of this month. It never goes away. And that's awesome. That's awesome. But now Peter says, now that being so, and you've got to understand that because if you miss that, you really don't understand a lot of things about Christianity. And he goes on here in verse 5 and he says, now now that being so, that being so, and he starts here in verse 5. That being so, my uh, NAS translation, uh, now for this very reason, because these two facts are true, Peter says, here's what you need to know. Here's my instruction to you. Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge, there's a word knowledge again, of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. What's Peter really saying to us here? What's he, what's he telling us? 
Very simply this. Christians do not believe the lies of Satan. The lies of Satan, which some of, sometimes you've bought into so much that you say these lies to yourself. Don't believe those lies. The lies that you cannot change. You cannot grow. You cannot be transformed. You can't become more mature in Christ. You can't live a victorious Christian life. Do not believe that. And as Peter is saying that, remember he's writing this with the idea in mind of false teachers rising up in the church. He's also saying, don't believe the lies of the false teachers. The lies of the false teachers that tell you that to be fully saved, to know God, to experience growth spiritually, you need something more than Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is good. You got some good things from him. But you need Jesus plus you need more than this if you're going to grow, if you're going to change, if you're going to be transformed. And Peter is saying, do not believe that lie. Do not believe any of those lies. They are not true. That's not, that's not reality. Everything you need has already been provided. Everything you need is in Jesus Christ. Peter wants that known. But then what he's really saying also is this. But Christians understand this. You got everything you need for this growth and change, but it will not happen. It will not happen. You will not change. You will not grow. You will not be victorious if you do nothing. If you do nothing but wish for it, pray for it, wait for God to wave his magic wand over you and make it happen. Because that is not how it works. That is not how it works at all. The way it works is this. God supplies all of the power that is needed. He makes the growth possible. He will give you help, but you must cooperate with God. You must do your part. You must act. When I was in my twilight sleep, the doctor would say, I need you to look down now because he was wanting, you know, to get to a certain place in my eye. And so he would kind of wake me up. I need you to look down now. Okay, good. You're doing that. Okay, now you're going to feel this, you know, and it would like freeze certain spots there underneath my eye with this deep freeze to just burn stuff out of there that didn't belong there. You go, okay, good. Yeah, it feels like an ice cream headache, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Okay. And then I'm back to sleep again, you know. I'm back to sleep. But I had my little part I had to play, right? That was my cooperation that I I had to give him. And what Peter is saying is, this is the way it works. God says, I'm here to supply all the power. You've got a part to play. You've got to cooperate with me. You have to act. Now, the first thing we need to do is stop and say, did you really know that? Did you know that? Did you know that on the one hand, God supplies so you can change? Did you know on the other hand that you have a part to play? Oftentimes... Christians will know one thing or the other, but they won't know both. They'll think, well, it's just all on God's part. Or they'll think, oh, it's all on my part. I have to do everything myself. They won't know the difference. Sometimes Christians know both of those things, but they don't really live like they know both of those things. They'll agree like, yeah, that's what the scripture says, but I don't think God's going to supply or I know I have to do, you know, do it myself. Peter says you've got to grasp the concept. It's not either or, it's both and. It's both and. So how do we cooperate? That's what we want to know, right? We're thrilled that God is doing his part. What's our part? Peter says in verse 5, he puts it very simply. He says, here's your role. Applying all diligence. Applying all diligence, Peter says. The word applying here, the original Greek text, it's really interesting. It means to to bring in alongside. And so what Peter is saying here is, as God has done his part, 
He's given you uh, the, the divine nature, the partaking of the divine nature. He's given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. What you need to bring alongside, to apply, to bring alongside is your part. And your part, he says, is diligence. Diligence. Diligence uh, uh, is, is something that Peter will emphasize. He brings it back in this little section we already read in verse 10. Be all the more diligent, he says in verse 10. Be all the more diligent. So diligence is the key. Bring in the diligence. What does that mean? The word in the Greek means this. Go all out. Make the greatest effort possible. That's the meaning. Muster every ounce of determination you have. Strenuously pursue. Pour great energy into spiritual growth and spiritual fruitfulness. That's your part. To pour, your, to pour yourself into that. To be committed to it. Dedicated to it. To be diligent in that way. Last night I was, I was reading in bed a sports magazine, a Sports Illustrated magazine. And there was an article in there about, about two Olympic runners. Uh, they're, they're bound for the Olympics. They've already got their spots to go there. They're training for the, uh, the upcoming Olympics. They're long-distance runners, not marathoners, but like, what, five, ten thousand meters, whatever those super long races are where they run incredibly fast. And it was saying that as they train together, they're good buddies training together, and, they, and they, they will travel wherever they need to to get the training, which usually means they go to these high-altitude locations for training, different places to get different experiences. And as they do that, some of their training has been this. They're running 20-mile high-altitude runs together at 5 minutes and 25 seconds per mile. Think about that. Pushing themselves that hard. They're running eight 1,200-meter repeats on a track in just a little over three minutes each and only taking a, a couple of minutes rest between their, uh, their, their runs. They're, uh, they're running uh, 15 repeats of 200 meters each, doing them in 25 seconds, and their basic break between that is just running 100 meters in a, in a jogging sort of way. And then they crank it up again. Now, what are they doing? They're so dedicated. They're not, this is what it takes. We're, we're giving every ounce of our ability. Whatever it takes for us to, to win, that's what we're doing. We're pursuing that with our whole hearts. We are diligent to do that. We're not letting it slide. We're not getting together and going, hey, you know, it's going to be nice if we go to London. Let's just take a little jog down to the park today. We'll sit on the swings a while and talk. And then we'll kind of jog back home. A couple of miles today. That's all it takes, right? No, they're going, this is diligence. We've got to be after this thing. That's the diligence that, uh, that is being talked about here by Peter. And what we want to do here is not overlook the, the bottom line. And that is without effort, without discipline, there will, no, there will be no spiritual growth in our life. Bottom line. Without our effort, without our discipline, there will be no spiritual growth. If you put in a little bit of effort, you might get a little bit of growth. You're probably going to have trouble maintaining it. This is going to require you to, to really... Put in the effort. And part of that, you know, the discipline side of it is this. God has given us means for growth. He's given us his word, the Bible. If you read it, you understand more. You learn more. You get encouraged. You get inspired. You get training. You get teaching. And so you've got to be disciplined in the word. If, if you say, I want to grow spiritually, and you're not in the word, probably not going to happen. Okay? What else do you have? You have prayer that, that is a, a, a gift from God that we can use to help us grow. We have worship, like when we come together to worship in our worship times. That is a discipline we have. And that's, that's one of the means, one of the ways that we can, can be diligent in our growth. When we become servants, because God teaches us so much through serving, 
Sometimes we separate us like, well, we do worship and prayer and Bible study. And then we do serving. That's really different. We don't really grow through serving. Oh, you know, you must not have served a whole lot. Because you'll find is that what you'll find is that some of your best growth comes through your serving because God teaches you so many things uh, as you're serving, trains you up through discipleship opportunities, through fellowship with other believers. If you don't take time to be with other believers in accountability relationships or even just friendship relationships where you have this input going on, well, you're not going to grow. Those are discipline issues. And if you choose to, to not be disciplined, don't count on growth because it's not going, going to come. And so there's that discipline side of it, but there's also this effort that has to be made uh, uh, specifically uh, to choose to be mature. And, and Peter here is, is very clear on this. He says, you know, the, the work side is important. You need to, take to, to, uh, to put in that effort with the tools God has given you and, and see that as, as very important. Thomas Edison said, you know, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. And so, and so sometimes we go like, okay, I don't think I want that. I don't think I want that. You know, I want what it is. You know, the difference between Edison and others, apart from him being intellectually brilliant, was he, he said all his life, I just work harder than a lot of other people. And, and so the idea is I, I put this work in and I know I have these disciplines, but I also have to be shooting for the right thing. I have to be shooting for the right thing. And the important key here for Peter is that he tells us what, what we actually should shoot for. He's very specific about what to strive after. You notice he doesn't just say here, strive after spiritual growth, strive after spiritual maturity. Now, those are okay words to use. Sometimes we use them, but often we assume when we use those words that we know what we're all talking about. We're all in agreement when, in fact, we're probably not, that some of us don't even have the the vaguest idea what being spiritually mature actually means. If we, if we pinned you down today in a little survey, you know, and it would be anonymous, we'd say, well, tell us, what is spiritual maturity? What would you actually say? What, what would it look like? Maybe you'd be able to give an answer. Uh, maybe you wouldn't. You know, for some of us, it'd probably be like, well, I don't really know. I just know, like, that guy over there who just, like, worships so well and raises his hands. I, I, I think that's kind of what I need to become. And, and that woman over there, you know, who just seems to always have the right word of, of comfort and assurance and wisdom. I think that's what it, it is. But we really don't know exactly, and we certainly don't have the idea of what exactly should I be pursuing. Well, Peter clears that up for us. He, he's not vague in any way. He shows us what to put the effort toward. And what Peter is clear about is this, that applying all diligence means developing Christ-like qualities and characteristics. Peter means developing Christ-like qualities and characteristics. And he names some of them very specifically, verses 5 through 7. Here we go. In your faith, he says, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. That's quite a list, isn't it? I don't think Peter was trying to say this is the exhaustive list of everything. I do think he was saying, broadly speaking, this is the categories I could give you. And if you want to get more detailed, you could probably put everything else you can think of underneath these categories. But this is what spiritual maturity is, having these qualities, these characteristics in your life. Now, let's just look at it sort of by diagram and uh, an explanation here to make sure we really get it to make sure we, we, we truly have it because we want to know what we're shooting for, right? So, so let's take a look. Let's take a look at this. The first one 
he says of this. He starts here. He has an assumption that if you're a Christian, you already have a measure of faith, right? So that's his starting place. So he says, in your faith, because if you're a Christian, you, have, you don't have any faith. You're not really a Christian. You had to choose to believe in Christ, to trust in Christ. So he says, starting there with your faith, keep that up. Keep that up. Keep developing it into greater faith. But then he says, in that faith, and he'll keep using the word in here, in that faith, by which he means in connection to that faith, he says, supply, that's what my Bible reads, supply, which means cooperate with God, doing your part for the development. Supply, he says next, moral excellence. Moral excellence. Pursue the quality of moral excellence. If you have an NIV uh, translation, it says goodness there. Kind of a hard word to translate from the Greek into the, into the English. It's, it's the quality of virtue. But, but not just sort of the person who, you know, you kind of picture virtue, just a person who sort of sins meekly and mildly and just never does anything wrong. But that's not the idea of moral excellence here. Um, moral excellence here is, is actually a word that in verse 3 is, is applied. It said that's a specific quality that Jesus had. And that moral excellence, that goodness means this. It means goodness and righteousness that's expressed in concrete deeds daily. It's doing the right and good thing daily in life. It's that Christ-like quality, like, like when Josh was talking a, a couple weeks back about you know, the woman who was caught in adultery and, and how the, the, uh, some folks grabbed her and pulled her into the public square and, and wanted to make an example of her and were really trying to actually just use her to, uh, to somehow entrap Jesus to say something so that they could discredit Jesus and how Jesus just took such pity on her and treated her so kindly and then very gently but very firmly also you know, spoke to those who were doing wrong and, and they're using that woman in that way. That was a great example of moral excellence. When, uh, when there were people who need healing and Jesus healed, that was an example of moral excellence. And, and when, remember, some of those same enemies of Jesus uh, constantly said, you know, you're healing on Sunday, and that, that looks a lot like work, and so you're breaking the Sabbath, and you shouldn't be healing anyone on Sunday. And Jesus gently corrected them and said, no, this is God's will. This is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with this. And he went ahead and he did the right thing. He was kind and he healed. That's moral excellence. Doing the right things, doing the good things every day in, in concrete ways. And so, so Peter says, so you start with faith, but then supply moral excellence. This is what you're shooting for. And in connection to that, he says, then also supply, cooperate with God for knowledge. Seek to develop knowledge. And the word, there's that word again, right? I told you Peter loves this in this letter. Knowledge. But here, as Peter's referring to knowledge, it's knowledge not just of, of God, but as I personally know God, I have this moral insight because I understand God's will. I understand, understand God's will, and so I have discernment between right and wrong. I have practical wisdom so that I choose the right things and I don't choose the wrong things. I leave the wrong things behind. Tonight's uh, Academy Award night. And, uh, you know, a lot of people get really excited about it. Some of you are probably already wondering, you know, which films, you know, will win, the, which actors will win the best awards. And that's kind of always a fun thing to do. But at the same time, you know, for a couple of decades now, the Academy Awards have kind of become a forum for, for you know, various individuals, leaders, starlets, or whatever, to kind of promote their, their beliefs in one way or another. And some of those beliefs are, are just absolutely not Christian, not biblical at all. But they'll promote them there. And a lot of people, because they'll be watching the Academy Awards, they'll see that and they'll go, oh, there's a person who's accomplished 
And they're saying that this lifestyle is okay or that behavior is okay. And they're, you know, they're talking about it and promoting it and giving an example of it in their own life. So it must be okay. That's the way we should live. So moral, uh, this, this knowledge, this moral discernment says, you know what? When I encounter those things, I have the understanding of what is right and what's wrong because I know from God's word. I know what he's revealed. So I can make the right choice. I'll, I'll, I will choose what is good and pure, not just whatever someone says or the way society is going. That's the knowledge that Peter's talking about. Have that, that quality. And then he says, in connection to that, in connection to that, strive to develop self-control. Self-control. The inner power to control your desires, your cravings, your passions, rather than being controlled by them. You're in control, not them. In the context of our, our walk with God, it's the, it's the quality of being submitted to the control of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means, the Scripture says, to be filled with the Spirit, is that you, you are so... Uh, uh, under his authority that you're being directed and and guided by him, you are exhibiting self-control in your life. Develop that uh, quality, uh, Peter says. Pursue that. And in connection to that, strive to develop, he says, perseverance. Perseverance. Perseverance is the quality of endurance. Endurance in the face of trials and distress and hardship and opposition and pressure from the world to conform to what they believe rather than conforming to God. Aristotle said, self-control is concerned with pleasure. Endurance or perseverance is concerned with sorrows. You know, we exercise self-control in regard to our pleasures. But, but endurance, that's really the things that, that hurt us, that make us grieve, that make us feel the stress, the pressure. And we just say, I want to give up. Like Jesus faced, right? So all that pressure to always don't do the will of the Father. Don't go to the cross. But no, endurance says, no, I'm going to keep doing the right thing, even in the face of... Uh, of pressure. I just happened across uh, this week uh, uh, a saying that, that said, you know, endurance and perseverance, it, it's like this. It's like being more of a, of a steady shining star rather than, a, than the brilliance of a meteor. That, you know, if you have a star, you know, especially one that's a growing star, it's getting brighter and brighter and it's putting out this steady light. But that's, that's the picture of someone enduring in the face of trials rather than a Christian who is just like, well, I'm a flash here when everything's going well. I'm a flash there when everything's going well. No, no, be steady. Be steady. Strive to develop that, that quality. And in connection to that, strive to develop godliness, then Peter adds. Godliness is devotion to God. It's reverence for God. Practically speaking, it means this. My great concern is to please God. That's godliness. I want to please God in all things that I do. Peter says, develop that quality. And then he adds in this one, interestingly. He says, strive after the quality of brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. If you would see it in the, in the original Greek text, if you, even if you couldn't translate it, but you could just transliterate the Greek words and you were reading it along, Peter would be saying, develop the quality of Philadelphian. Philadelphian, right? Brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, they say. My brother lived there for a while. He wasn't so sure that it was a city of brotherly love. But, but that's, the, that's where the word comes from. And so, and Peter's saying here, uh, be loving, be kind toward the members of God's family. That's what the brotherly kindness means here specifically. It's more than just fondness for other Christians. He's saying, really take care of one another. Express your care in overt acts of kindness, which would include, on the one hand, not doing some things. Hey, don't gossip against each other. Don't tear each other down. Don't treat each other badly. On the other hand, though, Help one another. Bear one another's burdens. 
forgive one another in very practical ways, serve one another, develop that quality. And then Peter finishes off saying, and in connection to that, there's one more love, love, not not uh, brotherly love, not brotherly kindness. He uses the other Greek word for love, agape, agape love, love for all family, friends, even enemies, love your enemies. Love, uh, this is love that's not inspired by affection. Like, oh, you're just so cute. You're so lovable. I can't help but just pour my love on you. No, this is the love that says, I will love you as a choice, even if you're unlovable. It's the love that says, I desire the highest good for you no matter what. And I'm even willing to sacrifice in order to bring you that good. It's the love that that God showed to us in, in coming to redeem us, even though we didn't deserve it. It's Jesus dying on the cross for us even though we didn't deserve it. It's pure love. Develop that quality, Peter says. Now, these are the qualities and the characteristics that we're to strive after. This is the spiritual maturity. And we're to set our sights on these things to make them the goals that, that we pursue, by which, by which we need to understand. Peter doesn't mean, okay, pursue these things sequentially. By putting them in this, in this order, he's not saying, okay, start with faith. When you get faith down, Move to moral excellence and then get that one down and then then you'll be ready for knowledge. So go there. He's not saying that at all. He ties them much more closely together, which is why I drew the little circle. And if we if we really wanted to uh, to to build this out as it should be diagrammatically, we would have lines crossing all over the place to each other because this all works together. That's what Peter is really getting at. This all works together. He's not saying here also then 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 just kind of pick and choose which one of those you really want to do the ones you like, the ones that's your favorite, the ones that you want to make a New Year's resolution about. Don't don't just choose, uh, you know, what you want to concentrate on because that happens to, to hit you at the moment. But he's rather saying, no, you seek these as a whole. You seek these as a whole because each one of these qualities is what Christ-likeness, what maturity is about, and each of these balance each other. Each of these supports the other. Each of this brings fullness to the other. Take knowledge, for instance. You've got knowledge, right? That's good. Well, what does knowledge help with? Self-control, doesn't it? Knowledge helps with self-control in a, in a great way. And so they, they all work together. And because they all work together and constitute maturity, then, then go for all of them. Go for all of them. Sometimes we, we're kind of in the habit as Christians of associating just a few qualities with spiritual maturity. We say, well, am I spiritually mature? Well, I'm this and I'm this. Yeah, I think I'm spiritually mature. Peter would say, wait a minute, there's a bigger package than that you're not considering. Sometimes, you know, we like to, uh, to just focus on things and say, well, my thing is, you know, my thing is brotherly kindness and faith. That's where I'm really strongest. So I just focus on those areas and I'm spiritually mature. And what Peter would say is, how are you doing in knowledge and self-control? Oh, let's don't talk about that oh, then you're not really spiritually mature. It's the whole package that you need to be considering. So, so what Peter is saying is, here, here's an outline I've given you. Set, set your sights on these things with the understanding as to what they are. And of course, from the Bible, you're going to get the full understanding what these actually mean. He says, pay attention to these things. Search out the meaning. Look at it in others' lives as you compare it to Scripture. Make them your goal. And if you're having trouble with this, then then know where this is in the Bible and keep coming back to it. How about making a list and putting it on the refrigerator? How about getting this little chart and sticking it somewhere so that it reminds you what you're really after? 
what you're pursuing, what you're going to measure yourself uh, against as you're looking at the list. Memorize the verse. Easy to do that. Memorize the verse. Don't just make it a wish list, though, Peter is saying, because that's the, that's the fault that we have. It's like, well, we know these things. We wish for them. So obviously we're on the right track. Well, sort of. But Peter here is really emphasizing this. In verse 10, we won't go into all these, these uh, latter verses this morning, but Peter says, make sure you practice these things. He uses the word practice. Practice these things, verse 10. That is, do them regularly. Do them regularly because that's what it takes to develop them. Using them, uh, you learn from them. You learn from the repetition. You learn from the experience. It, these are the things that, that become habits for you. Let God's word be your guide as to how you use them. You're looking at something like self-control. Well, what does that mean? Well, as you read Scripture, you're going to understand, well, self-control in this situation means this. Learn from Scripture. Learn from from, uh, being with other believers and begin to practice these things. The key here is really this. A lot of times we say, well, I just don't know where to start. I don't know where to start, especially that list. You know, do I start at the top or the bottom? Or What's God telling me? God is telling you to start with whatever's right in front of you. Whatever is right in front of you, start with it. Whatever you're going to practice. What would I practice today? Practice whatever is right in front of you that's needed. Uh, Work on that area. Go for it. You all know who Louis L'Amour was? He's he's passed away now. Louis L'Amour wrote wrote the small Western novels, you know, and he wrote like a couple of hundred of them. And so that's why, you know, if you go to somebody's house or you go to any library, you, you almost can always find a Louis L'Amour, you know, Western novel. There's paperbacks, you know, everywhere. And, uh, and so Louis L'Amour once was asked, what was your, what's your writing style like? How do you approach writing, especially to be able to write so many different stories, you know, in, in your lifetime? How did you do this? And here's what he said. He said, my, my approach is start writing no matter what. Start writing no matter what. He says, the water does not flow until the faucet is turned on. The water doesn't flow until the faucet is turned on. In other words, you've got to begin doing it to make something happen. And this is what, what God says about spiritual growth and maturity. Here's what you're shooting for. So get with what's right in front of you and, and do it. Just start doing it to the best of your ability. Get help if you need it. But, but practice these things. And then what Peter also emphasizes here is, Never stop developing these things. Keep increasing. Keep increasing in the development uh, of these things. You'll keep increasing, he says, verse 8 there, because you'll never, you'll never be totally perfect in them. Sometimes, you know, we rise to levels of satisfaction. I'm feeling pretty good about this one. But what about this thing going on in your life? Oh, well, you know, we don't look at that one. No, you'll never be perfect. So keep, even with the ones you're, you're doing well in, keep striving for, for the, the, the wholeness of that particular characteristic. And keep, keep diligent in these things because, you know what? Here's the way it works in the Christian life. If you stop practicing, if you stop progressing, you don't just stay still. You start regressing. That's the way it is in a spiritual life. It's a daily life. It's a daily life. And if you, if you don't progress, you're, you're going to regress. You're going to fall back. And, and so you have to not be complacent. You have to not be, uh, be satisfied in any way. 
Thomas Edison was the one who said, you know, show me a thoroughly satisfied man, I'll show you a failure. I'll show you a failure. Someone who's just become satisfied with where I am. Don't do that. Keep pursuing. Keep increasing. Don't let failure cause you to quit. See? It's a lifelong process. It's not something that you can finish, you know, in one day or one week or one year. Can't even finish it in a whole life. God just catches us all up at the end for what, we've, uh, what, we've, what we're lacking when we get to the end of it. But we have to keep pursuing in that lifelong process. Some of you have stopped pursuing because, you know what, you realize, I couldn't get it all together. Well, welcome to the club. None of us can. So that's why you have to keep increasing in it, increasing in it. You have to keep pursuing it at all times. Here, have you, have you heard this before? Listen to this. Out of our beliefs are born deeds. Out of our deeds, we form habits. Out of our habits grows our character. And on our character, we build our destiny. You ever heard that before? Let me repeat it for you. Out of our beliefs are born deeds. We can connect with that, right? I've got my belief now in Jesus. I've got the Word of God to guide me. Out of our beliefs are born deeds. Out of our deeds, as we're doing what Peter says, practicing, continually increasing, We form habits. Out of our deeds, we form habits. Out of our habits grows our character. And on our character, we build our destiny. That's what Peter's talking about. Now, let me tell you something, though, about that saying. In regard to spiritual maturity, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you have not become a partaker of the divine nature, if you don't have everything given to you for life and godliness, that saying won't work. It means nothing. It, it, it will not work out. But if you truly are connected to Jesus and you've partaken of the divine nature and you have everything pertaining to life and godliness, that's absolutely a true statement there, a true series of, of lines. What happens if we do that? Very briefly, we won't go into the details at the end of the section we read, but verse 8 says this, If you pursue in this way, here's God's promise. You will be neither useless nor unfruitful. That's what it says there in verse 8. You will be neither useless nor unfruitful. You will continue to bear more and more spiritual fruit in your life. God will see to it that it happens if you're cooperating. You'll bear more and more spiritual fruit and you will effectively serve God. You will make a difference in the lives of others. You'll be useful. You will be an accomplished servant of God. God will look upon you and go, yep, that's one I can count on. Verse 10, Peter says this, you will never stumble. You will never stumble, which of course doesn't mean that you'll never sin or fail. Peter was well aware of that, wasn't he? We know from his own life, he stumbled. But but what Peter here is talking about, the word stumble here doesn't mean you'll never have a little trip, a little fall. It means you'll never have a disastrous downfall is the idea. You will never have a disastrous spiritual downfall. You'll never turn away from your faith. You'll never be led astray. You will never fail greatly as long as you are pursuing the spiritual maturity. That's God's promise. That flourishing spiritual life, that's the safeguard against sin. And then verse 10, Peter says this, you will make certain about his calling and choosing you. If you're pursuing these things, what he says is, that as you're pursuing these things, God will just keep reinforcing that you're on the right track, 
that your relationship is strong. If for no other reason, then you're going to actually be seeing that, hey, you know what? I used to like really, I used to, to, to let my temper get the best of me in these situations. But now look at the self-control I have. I used to never make a difference in the lives of my family members who are non-Christians. But now I say something and it's like God works through that and they actually are getting some of this. Peter says, when this happens, you'll be, you'll be making certain as you're pursuing this, God will reinforce that you're on the right track. You're doing the right thing. The saying that it's not our profession of faith, faith that guarantees we're saved, it's our progression in the faith that gives us that assurance. That's what Peter's talking about. And then one more thing he says is this in, in verse 11. He says, also, in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly uh, supplied to you. You've got to understand here, this isn't a statement that you have to earn your way into heaven, that you better be doing this or you won't even get into heaven. It is not a statement uh, to that end. And you kind of have to look into, into the deeper Greek words. This is one of those verses where, where you have to look in the, into the Greek a little deeper to really understand uh, with clarity what it's talking about. Notice the word entrance here. Entrance to the kingdom will be supplied to you. That word entrance refers not to the way of entrance, like you'll, you'll be given access, you'll be given a ticket into the kingdom. It's not that. It's that, uh, as that you will be given the entrance in the sense of you will be given your introduction, you will be given your welcome into the kingdom. It will be abundantly supplied to you. Your welcome into the kingdom of God will be a grand welcome in which God actually celebrates you in which you are applauded and told what a good job you've done, and in which then you're given the rewards that God says goes to those who have lived well-lived lives. You'll get those. The Greeks use the words there of an abundantly provided, supplied entrance. They use those words to describe um, the lavish welcome that Olympic athletes would receive when they went to the games and then they would come back home to their hometown as victors. And as they would come back home, they would have this entrance abundantly supplied. They would have this essentially like a welcome parade waiting for them with people applauding them and giving them gifts. Sometimes the city would go so far in applying uh, in supplying the entrance is that if they were a walled city, they would cut a new uh, door or gate in the wall. And that would be your gate, you know, your gate for, for your victory. That's what Peter is talking about here. That's, that's what's behind this. That welcome will be abundantly supplied. God will, will give it to you. And here's something that we don't have a lot of time for, but, but here's what it's referring to. Every believer in Jesus Christ, we know, will arrive in heaven. But some of them, some of us, we should say, are going to have more, a more glorious welcome than others. That's the bottom line. Some of us are going to have a more glorious welcome than others. Some will come in, it's been said, by various individuals. Some people are going to arrive in heaven. They're going to look a little bit like a guy who fell overboard on a ship and eventually washed up on shore with barely his clothes left on his back and bedraggled. And people are going to look and go, oh, glad you made it. Or some have said, some people are going to arrive in heaven as if they just escaped from a burning house that destroyed everything in the house with their clothes singed and, uh, you know, uh, stuff all over their face and just looking terrible. And they're going to be welcomed into the kingdom because they will belong into the kingdom thanks to God's grace. 
but they're not going to have a welcoming parade for the way they've lived their lives, for their lack of diligence. They're not going to have the same rewards as the diligent. But the diligent will receive. They'll be welcomed. They'll be rewarded. Say, well, what if I die tomorrow, though, and I just started today? Don't worry. God's looking at your heart. He's looking at your effort, not all your accomplishments. But that's the way it's going to be, that the reward of, uh, the reward of, of your diligence is that. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Think about where will you be and all that. See, but, but I just, I, I see it, I get it, but I just feel like this is still impossible for me. This is still impossible for me. Oh, wait a minute. You're believing the lie right now, aren't you? You're believing the, the lie. The lie that says, no, you can't actually become a mature Christian. You can't grow. Remember, that's all false. You've become a partaker of the divine nature. Think of it in this way. Think of it in this way as you close. For some of you who struggle with this, understand that what Peter is really saying is, and I know somebody could pick over the theology of the illustration, but, but it's, it's good enough just to focus on the illustration. Picture it like this. All of those qualities, they're already inside of you, essentially is what Peter is saying. They're already there, ready to be manifested. And why would I, why would I bring that up? Because sometimes we look at these qualities and we go, oh, they're just so far away. They're just so far. They're like, they're like I'm here in Corvallis and it's like, it's way over there in Lebanon somewhere. You know, and, and I pursue it and I just can't get it because when I go to Lebanon, I find out it's in Sweet Home. You know, and, and then I go to Sweet Home and I find out that the Perseverance is in Sisters. And, and it's just, I'll, I'll never get it. It's like, that's my chase. I'm always chasing. It's just something I can never have. And Peter is saying, no, wait a minute. You've got the whole wrong perspective. It's not out there somewhere. You have this new nature. You have the spirit dwelling in you. These things are implicit in your nature right now. In the new nature that God gave you, these character qualities are implicit. They're just waiting for your cooperation. Spirit is waiting for your cooperation so that these things will flow out of you. And the question is, will you let that happen by your cooperation? As we close the service today, we'll sing as we usually do with our worship, but we'll also take the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up right now. We're also going to uh, ask the servers who are scheduled to serve today to come up, take their seats in the front row. Now, as they're coming, here's what you need to do. Don't watch them. They're all beautiful and lovely people. But don't watch them. Instead, listen as we prepare for, for taking this communion. Jesus said, when you take these elements, the bread and the cup, he said, do this in remembrance of me, right? He explained communion wholly in those words. Do this in remembrance of me. When you take communion, the goal is to remember Jesus. To remember Jesus. He said, the bread, that's remembering my body, that I was a real person. I came down to earth. I lived this life and I died for you. I died for you. I gave my life for you. Remember that. Remember when you take that cup, that that's a symbol of, of my blood. That, that I allowed myself to be tortured for you. You didn't deserve it, but I allowed some of the most vile men to get a hold of me and torture me to death. I did that for you. And I did it because I love you. And Jesus says, I want you to remember that. And then how should I respond? With thankfulness. 
When's the last time in communion you just said personally to God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. I really don't deserve this. When Jesus wants us to remember, he wants us to remember the things that he's given us and how we can grow, what he wants to do in our life. He wants us to put away the lies. And so for you today, that could be just an essential part of what you're doing. You're saying, God, as I take this, this is just a statement of my faith and my trust and my belief. And yeah, I'm just, I'm really putting away the lies today. Maybe it's getting really honest with God and saying, you know what? I'm that person Andy was talking about, about picking and choosing what I want for spiritual maturity. And you know what? Time for me to leave that behind. Maybe for you today, just say, you know what? I, I'm not very diligent. I want to be. This wakes me up, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for this. And just really say overall to God today, wow, I'm excited about what you might do in my life. So many ways we could respond. You can think of ways on your own. The important thing is that it's personal. So we'll be singing the songs. We'll have the elements in our hands. As that comes then, you can hold it. You could take it right away if you like and worship. You could hold it, take it while we're singing. You could wait till the end of the singing. We'll leave it in your hands today. We just say make it personal though. Make it for you. Sing with us. Jesus said, this is my body given for you. This cup, it's the new covenant in my blood given on behalf of many for forgiveness of sin. Lord Jesus, we're just so excited. Think about this, Lord. Eternal life, forgiveness, all these things, they're great. Even better, Father, you've put on top of that everything pertaining to life and godliness. A 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, all-year-long stream of power. You made us partakers of the divine nature in a way that we could never do on our own. Lord, we'll believe it and celebrate it. Just yield ourselves to you here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.